Good morning, good morning. It's awesome to see all, this is like Christmas Sunday. It's not Christmas yet, but this is the Christmas, this is the Sunday before Christmas. So, Merry Christmas. Oh, well, thank you very much. All right, now here's the thing. I got a couple of things that I'm tacking on to the announcements right before we uh, get into our sermon, which um, if you've got your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn right now to John chapter 1. The first thing is this. Here's a couple of things that I'm just really excited about with regard to our church. One of them is I love the fact that this is a church that doesn't believe that you're a part of this church when you get old but that you're a part of this church when you are, you are every person in our church is a part of our church. Um, and to just case in point, the entire tech team in the back is all junior hires and high schoolers running today. And so there's tons of people all around this country that are watching today, and these guys are the ones that are, that are really facilitating that with one adult in uh, one of the back rooms. So thank you, adult in the back room. And uh, thank you for all the junior hires, junior hire and high schoolers that are, are making that all happen back there. You guys are awesome. Um, secondly, um, and this actually isn't regarding the tech booth, but a friend of mine named Josh Amstutz. Josh used to go to this church, and now he's a lead pastor up in Lake Geneva. Uh, he wrote uh, a children's book that I illustrated, and uh, we put that that together, it's taking the parables of Jesus and, and just basically uh, having a, almost a Dr. Seussian twist on them. And so if you are a child, you have a child, you know someone with a child, or you're, you think like a child, um, feel free to pick up one of these on your way out. Um, if, if you still are procrastinating buying presents, this may be a lifesaver for you. So definitely check that out. Um, oh, also, one of the things that, as we're coming to the end of this service, um, many of you picked up an ornament that had our logo on it, Fix Your Eyes. And um, in fact, we, we ran out of those ornaments. It was so cool. We had to make some more. But what we wanted to do at the end of this series was we didn't want this just to be an Advent thing, a Christmas thing and then boom, we get into January and we don't fix our eyes on Jesus anymore. We want this to be something that we are consistently reminded. So I hope it is on your Christmas tree. Maybe some of you today are here because you were given one of these as an invite to drop in. If so, welcome. It's good to have you here. My name is Errol McFadden. I'm the lead pastor. But our uh, Katie Sievers, who is our, who's our connection, our our communications director, she wanted to make sure that all of you got one of these. And this looks like a white circle. But trust me, it's more. It's this. It's a, it's a decal underneath the white circle. We have these free for you at the guest tub while we still have them. Um, please go snag one. Put it on your coffee cup, your water bottle, your car. Someplace where it'll remind you to keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. And that is where our focus is. Last thing uh, before we jump into the sermon is just to commend you as a church. This is one of the most generous churches um, when we put out a need, like we have a need for a uh, food pantry to, to box or come up with boxes to help fo- folks that are just financially challenged in our community, some of whom go to our church, some of whom are, are in our community, you step up to the plate. And whatever our need was, you will go above and beyond that. If you guys remember, we ha- wanted to have Christmas for the kids where we tried to help some families in our community that are just struggling financially be able to uh, provide gifts for their kids. And so we're, we said we, we're going to have a gift card drive and we have a need for 90 gift cards. And this church brought in 200. And so the cool thing with that is that now each one of these kids is going to get like, a, uh, be able to have, their parents could be able to give them a cool toy plus the ability to have uh, some type of a clothing item as well, which is maybe not as cool as the toy, but it's something that, that's a cool need. And so I just want to thank you as a church for capturing the heart of the God that we serve, the generosity. And if you're new to this church, I just want you to, you, you're lucky. You get to be in the same room with some of the most generous people in Grundy County. And uh, that's pretty awesome. And um, as, that's why we give. And whenever we, um, Katie didn't talk about the offering today, but that's something that as a church, we, we give not because we're trying to pay God back, 
but because we're trying to step into the mission that he's crafted us for and that he's crafted us to be generous people. So whether you give online or you give in one of the boxes, um, that's something that's an awesome thing. So help us end this year strong and step into that. And I'm going to pray that God blesses whatever we, we give today. All right, let's go ahead and just pray for that. Lord Jesus, again, we, we, we thank you that there's not, there's not enough that we could possibly give to pay you back or come close. But we simply um, are allowing you to shape our lives and shape our heart by investing in kingdom things, God, that makes an impact in this community and across oceans, supports missionaries that many of us will never meet until eternity, and impacting folks with the gospel that we certainly will never get a chance to embrace until we see you face to face. But God, I thank you so much for allowing us to be um, a people that are simply on the receiving end of an amazing example of generosity. And thank you for giving us the opportunity to respond back. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Okay, you've had plenty of time to open up your Bible. So if you could stand up as we read God's word. This is John, um, and John is one, he was one of the youngest disciples, if not the youngest disciple that Jesus called. He was probably 13, so he's a little junior higher. He could have worked our tech booth, but Jesus called him to be a disciple and follow him. And so this guy is watching, and he's looking, and he's, he's observing the fact that this rabbi, who's like in his early 30s, and all of these other guys that are between high school and college age are walking around and learning this radically new perspective, different than what he grew up with. And as he's going through, he's just blown away by that. And if this was a game of Survivor, he would have outlasted every one of the other disciples because they all got martyred, except for Judas, and we know what happened with him. But he outlived them all. And so he lives into a ripe old age, and he probably dies in captivity, but not before penning the Gospel of John, which gives a a play-by-play of the life account biography of Jesus that he had a chance to eyewitness write a couple of letters to the different churches in 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and then to record the book of Revelation as a vision from God about, about what is, how God's going to wrap all this thing up. And so this is how he opens his gospel, talking about Jesus. He calls Jesus this real poetic word, um, logos, the word. That it's not just the word of God. Jesus is the walking, talking word of God, and this is how he opens the whole thing. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that's been made. In him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light. So that through him, all may believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light gives light to everyone coming into the world. He was in the world, and though he, the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out saying, this is the one I spoke about when I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. 
No one has ever seen God. No one has ever seen God. But the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Thank you. So as we've been going through this series in Advent, um, we've been focusing in on the fact that um, Advent typically covers these four topics, hope, peace, joy, and love, which is great. And, and that's awesome. But honestly, the truth is that, that Advent is all about that hope, peace, joy, and love. But Advent lands during Christmas time, and Christmas time can be crazy town. In fact, most people in our church, I think if we took a poll, most would say they love Christmas. There's a few of you that are like, I hate Christmas. I love Halloween. We're not judging you. That's fine. But here's the thing. Most people, even if they love Christmas, are taxed by Christmas. They're like put off by Christmas because it's a, man, it's a pain and it's stressful. And you might be doing all the work in your family and no one's thanking you. And like, it's just like, bah, 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 bah. it's like just one of those times where you're just like, honestly, I love the idea of Christmas, but give me January because I'm done. Give me June. Don't give me January. That's why in this series, what we wanted to do is really, really cover the fact that we have hope despite discouragement, peace despite demands, joy despite distractions. And this week, we're going to be covering the fact that we have love despite dysfunction. We are in a dysfunctional, broken, dark world. And yet in the midst of it, we have a truth, not a truth, we have the truth that gives us the capacity to be resilient and actually express, embrace, and receive love in spite of the craziness that's going on in our life. So today's sermon, in a nutshell, is simply this. Love is real. Real love is better. Better love makes the bad world better. Okay, love is real. Real love is better. Better love makes the world around us, the bad world around us, significantly better. Let's first off start off with love is real. That's something that most of us believe. Most people believe that love is real, even if we can't prove it. But it's so funny because like in the scientific community, that's something that we've actually wrestled with. Like, is love real? Like, or is it just like a figment of our imagination? This guy's named Francis Crick. His name is Francis Crick. I think that I put on the next slide John Crick. It's not. It's Francis Crick. Uh, Francis Crick, we owe a ton to this guy. This guy, not this guy, this guy. This guy is the guy who actually um, was able to map out and model DNA. He's one of the pioneers. He and his scientific partner pulled that off. That's not a scientific partner. But his scientific partner were able to map out DNA in a huge way. He was a, he's a British molecular biologist. He's just crazy smart. And he wrote, and, and he wrote in a book uh, that uh, he uh, published in the last century called Astonishing Hypothesis, um, the idea that the truth is, is that all we are is biology. There's no soul there. There's no love there. We're just kind of like, like if you tipped a domino, naturally dominoes fall, but we're just like a more complicated version of that. There's no real love Love is kind of, it's not a real thing. It's just in our head. He said this, the astonishing hypothesis is that you, your joys, your sorrows, your memories, and your ambitions, your sense of identity and free will are all in fact no more than the behavior of a vast assembly of nerve cells and their associated molecules. As Lewis Carroll's Alice might have phrased it, you're nothing but a pack of neurons. There is no love. I mean, scientific, and the thing is that those in the scientific community found that offensive because they're like, that's, you can't possibly make a bold statement like that. He says, no, that's actually a bold, accurate, sound statement scientifically. There is no such thing as love. And the truth is that even if, if, if 
Francis believed that. He didn't live that. Nobody lives that. Nobody lives like there's no such thing as love. Because we have, there's something inside of us that believes it's true. Even Francis, this is what he said. He said, read this carefully. He was writing to his 12-year-old son who was at a boarding school. He said, read this carefully so that you will understand it. When you come home, we will show you the model. He, was, he, was, he had this um, early drawn out double helix of a DNA that he was super stoked about his 12-year-old seeing. I'm sure his 12-year-old was crazy interested in what his dad was talking about. But anyway, he writes this and he ends it, lots of love, daddy. Now, if you believe that there's no such thing as love, why would you want to give lots of nothing to your son? Unless you understand there's a contradiction there. That couldn't possibly be the case. Intuitively, we understand that love is real. Uh, Pastor Tim Keller, when responding to Francis Crick's um, stuff, just like one of some of those passages, he put it this way, and, and poignantly pointed out that Christmas speaks into a different reality. Christmas tells you that what your heart intuitively knows but you cannot prove love is real and it matters. Love matters. Not only is it real, it matters. Christmas can make you whole. Love is not just a part of human chemical reactions. It predates us. It was crafted by a loving God. Most everyone, I don't care if you're an atheist or a Christian or a Buddhist or whatever, would believe that love is real. But we can't quite prove that. And again, we can't quite like pinpoint why, but one person might say, look, okay, I don't agree with Francis Crick on this. I I believe that, I, I definitely believe that love is a thing, but that doesn't mean that Christianity is true. Just because love is real and you say that, you know, God loves you and stuff like that, that doesn't make Christianity real just because love happens to be real. In fact, there's lots of world religions out there. There's 31 flavors of world religions that we could pick. And any one of the, and honestly, I've, I've, as, as, Errol McFadden, I've had friends that have been just about every world religion out there. I've talked to them, I've engaged with them, whether, whether they're Buddhist, Hindu, Muslim, some people that were Wiccan, some people that would even self-identify as Satanists, and all of them would agree love is real. And in fact, all those people were loving people. They desired love, they felt like it was something that was of value to them, and they leaned into it. You don't have to be a Christian to know that love is real. And, and so why can't you just, you know, lean into some type of world religion that just and just believe that this is true because that world religion will support that. Well, the problem is, is that you can believe that whether, no matter what you believe, but where do you source that love? Where do you source the truth that love is real? Because no world religion ever said that until Christianity. No world religion ever identified a creator being as being loving. In fact, God was a, there were gods and goddesses or whatever, and they were a thing. They were all powerful. Maybe they're all wrathful. Maybe they were super distant, or they created the world and they walked away. That may be, but there was no accounting of some God who actually loved us. That was a weird thought. And so this idea, this Hebrew religion, this faith, and pointedly pointed out as within Jesus that love is real, that was unheard of. And yet, within the Christian theology, we have this idea that love doesn't come from our culture. Love doesn't come from the fact that I'm just lonely and I just want to have a date. Love comes from the fact that before humanity was ever created, there was a loving God, three in one. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. One being, three persons. And they were perfect. God doesn't need anything. It doesn't need anyone. So God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, expressing from eternity past perfect love, and then decides to create humanity. Now, if you already have perfect love and you have no needs, why do you create humanity? If you have perfect love and no need for love, do you create humanity to get love? 
No, you already have perfect love. You don't need anything. You create humanity, not to get love, but to give it. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit creates us in love, for love, and to, and to love others. We are the source of our theology. The source, if you're a follower of Jesus, the source of this statement, that you could like take this to the bank and drop the mic, which you wouldn't do, but if you did, is all sourced back to the fact that God is love and that he created us in love and for love. That 13-year-old junior high disciple that grew up and started writing the Gospel of John, then he wrote letters to different churches. In one of those letters, in 1 John, he puts it this way. He said, dear friends, let us love one another for love comes from who? This is not cultural. This is not socio, you know, just like a socio-political dynamic within humanity. This is part of our created being because he is love. And if we were created by him in perfect love, love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. Church, love is real. See, Christians started to point out the fact, and John actually pointed out, he says this, and again, in a world that believed in lots of different gods and religions and stuff, all the major religions that are out there, none of them pointing to the reality of love. And then John records Jesus, about Jesus this, for God so the world that he gave his only son. The author of Hebrews picks up on that and says the, the verse that's been the, ep- the epicenter of this series. Because God so loved the world and gave his son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life, fix our eyes on Jesus, who's the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy put before him endured the cross for us, scorning his shame, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of God. So if you're a Christian, love is real is a big deal because you know that you can source not just because you feel it, but because you know it to be true. It's the core of who you are. But not only is love real, real love is better. This is the important thing, because a lot of people say love, but what what do you mean when you say love? Because, yeah, love is real, but love is disappointing. Well, John, actually, the next verse wants to get really uber uh, specific on this. This is how God showed his love. Okay, everyone in this room right now, you've all experienced disappointment in love. Even if you're like a kid, like if you're a first grader, your parents have let you down at some point. And if they haven't, just wait a week. It's going to happen. Okay, your parents are going to disappoint you. Every one of us has, have invested trust in someone, and growing up, we realized I can love someone, but I'm not going to be loved back the way I need to be loved. I can respect someone, but I'm not going to be respected back. In fact, that whole, the whole world is like that. I choose to surround myself with people who love me because if, I, if they love me, I can trust them with my love. And that's kind of this weird, awkward relationship. Most every human being at some point is going to be disappointed by the, the, the girlfriend or boyfriend they have, the fiance they have, the friend that they have, the parent or sibling that they have, the spouse that they have. All of us, we are walking records of the disappointment we've had from human love. And so John doesn't want us to get confused by that. He says, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not which we've experienced, not the garbage version that we've, ex- we've encountered. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. God's love is not built on how faithful we are to him, but on how faithful he is to us. That is the gospel. That's, like, that's why this real love is so important and significant, because what it tells us is this, 
That God gives perspective to the person with an abundance of human love, human healthy love, and promise to the one with its absence. The reason that real love is better is because it allows us to be resilient. This is what I mean by that. Some of us in here, you're people with an abundance of human love. Like you, you have people in your life. You might be single, but you got like great friends around you. You might be dating and the person you're dating is just awesome. You might be married and the person that you're married to is just the best. Like seriously, you should write books because the relationship is just impeccable. And like when you guys think about Christmas, like you're like, oh man, Christmas is fantastic. Like we get our house full of people and all the people are like really, I don't know. It's amazing. Just like, like personality wise, we just fit like there's no arguments. It, like it's like we just get together and laugh and laugh and laugh. Nobody gets overserved. It's amazing. And and as we're like gathering together, and this is in fact we get to the end of this like multiple day experience. We're like, you know what? Why don't we just make this two or three more days? Don't anyone go? This is fantastic. Some of you are experiencing that. That's some of your Christmases. It's like it's just woo. It's amazing. Now, if that's you. God's love, his better love, gives us perspective. And this is the perspective. The people that you love, that you love to be around, are still people. And they're going to stop being this good at some point. And if they don't, you will. And then all of a sudden, it's just like, man, what happened, man? We had amazing Christmases. Christmas was just wonderful. Every Christmas we get together, we never wanted to leave. Everyone was laughing. It was wonderful. It was great. And then you said what you said, and it ruined everything. I remember it. It was 1998. And all of a sudden, that point on the timeline, everything's been shifted since. It's just like everything was great until they, or everything was awesome until that happened relationship-wise. Man, I felt so loved, and then they said that, or then he did that, and then all of a sudden I feel like I'm the most, like, I just feel torn from inside. Here's the best thing about God's love, which is different than our love. It gives us perspective. If you have, if you currently have an abundance of good, it's good. Celebrate that. That's awesome. If you're looking forward to this week, and you're like, man, honestly, I'm pretty stoked. It's going to be awesome. Fantastic. That's great, but it gives you perspective that when people end up showing up as people. You're cool. You're not derailed. When someone says something, does something, does something that could derail you, you're not derailed. Why? Because you have perspective. This is why Jesus came. We're broken people. We keep breaking. We're never perfectly perfect, right? We consistently find ways to break. And so if you have an abundance of human love, but you're a follower of Jesus, you have perspective. So you don't have to get derailed this time, this next time when humans show up as humans. But if you're someone that you hate Christmas, the reason you hate Christmas is because it reminds you of how lonely you are. You feel disconnected. You feel like, honestly, like, I wish that I had a situation where I had family that wanted to gather. I wish that I had someone to share this Christmas with. Or I wish that the person that was so important in my life who's no longer around the table were here. If you have perfect love from God, it allows you to have the resiliency of having the promise that God loves you, that you are not alone, and that this is not the end. This feeling that you're feeling, it's legitimate. It's legit, but it's not forever. You have a lot of love and it's great right now. You have perspective. If you don't, you have a promise. And that promise is from Jesus. 
Love is real. God's real love is better. And last, better love makes a better world. There are a lot of versions and varieties of the famous Christmas story, A Christmas Carol. But there's only one that is the best. And everyone knows which one's the best, right? Which one's the best? That's right. It's a Muppets Christmas Carol, right? <laughs> you disagree with that, we can have a fight in the, in the parking lot after service. It's the best. And part of the reason it's so, I mean, the Muppets are awesome. And the music is great. I mean, come on. The, go, the ghost of Christmas is the best. But the greatest thing, I think, in that movie is Michael Caine. Michael Caine kills this, this role. It's the best job of Ebenezer Scrooge. And the cool thing about Ebenezer Scrooge in that storyline is this. In the story arc of, Chris, of Chris, A Christmas Carol, you start the story with a world where Ebenezer Scrooge has broken relationships with the community, broken relationships with his family, and he's part, he's complicit, actively complicit in a broken system that's keeping poor people poor, and he's cool with it. When he wakes up on Christmas Day at the end of the movie, he still has broken relationships with his family. He still has broken relationships in his community. And he's still, the world in London, still has a system that is broken and complicitly keeping poor people poor. Nothing has changed except Ebenezer Scrooge. The only thing that has changed in the whole story is this guy. And because he changed when he wakes up Christmas morning, recognizing the difference that love makes, all of a sudden, that actively changes the last eighth of the movie. And that last eighth of the movie is where he goes into the broken family relationships and restores them. He goes into the broken community relationships and he restores them. And he actively reverses the cycle of the system of keeping poor people poor in London that he was so actively complicit with. Does he change London? No. Does he fix everything around him? He doesn't. But there's transformation in him. And the reason the story works, and the reason it's so right, is because it echoes the reality that if somebody, and this, because this is how we were created, if somebody encounters real love, the real love of God, it doesn't make you just go, hmm, I'm just so glad I'm saved. It transforms you into being someone that then goes through and makes different decisions in your London. Are you going to change the world? Nope. Are you going to change your world? Yeah, you could. Yeah, you could. And John says that. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. Okay, this is awesome because this is a flashback. In his gospel, he says no one has ever seen God. But when Jesus walked around the streets, they did. No one's ever seen God. But when Jesus walked around the, the streets making decisions and saying stuff, they had a chance to see and hear God. That's how John opens the gospel of John. And then when he's writing this letter, after that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the grave, he says this, no one has ever seen God, but if we, if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. When you walk around the streets, no one's seen God, no one has ever seen God, but when you walk around the streets, people see in you your Savior. When you walk around the streets, no one has ever seen God, but when they hear you talking, they have an opportunity to hear what God sounds like. When they see the decisions that you make that seem counterintuitive with the typical decisions that you make, they get a chance to see the difference that God makes. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. And so here's the thing, just as, as a, a bit of pastoral application, as we're entering into Christmas, just a couple of points. If you are a Christian, if you've been saved, you understand the most amazing, profound love ever. 
It's real love, and real love is better, and it really makes the world around you better. If you believe in this, Jesus, here's just a couple application points for this next week, okay? Since you have been so greatly loved, remind your heart and forgive, remind your mouth and verbalize it, and remind your face and express it. Let me tell you what I mean. First off, remind your heart and forgive. It's a travesty, a travesty for a Christian who has been saved by offending the holy God of the universe who created everything, who has been there on the receiving end of absolute forgiveness, not partial forgiveness, complete forgiveness, to turn around to other human beings that have wronged them in their life and say, I will not forgive you. That's a travesty. We all do it. But it's a travesty. That really bent Jesus out of shape, that notion. He said, that doesn't belong. It doesn't belong. The more that you dwell on how much you've been forgiven, it causes you to do something. It says, this person in my life doesn't deserve forgiveness. They deserve my bitterness. But I'm going to choose not to give them what they deserve because he didn't give me what I deserved. In his offense, he deserved to be bitter against me and push me to the, kick me to the curb. But he didn't. And if he did that for me, who am I to do that to this person over here? Now, forgiveness, as we've said, every time we've talked about forgiveness, does not mean reconciliation. If this person is toxic, it doesn't mean I need to, I'm coming back into a relationship and being a BFF with this person. It doesn't. That's reconciliation. Reconciliation, when it can happen, is awesome. But, but that's not what every Christian is called to. Every Christian is called to forgiveness. Who is it that you need to forgive? Like, what if this Christmas there was someone that you could actually give the gift of forgiveness to that's in your house, that's part of your upbringing, that you work for, or you used to work for, someone you're in a relationship with or you used to be in a relationship with, someone who's living or even someone who's no longer with us? Who is it that you can say, I am no longer going to hold the bitterness against this person? Even if, if, even if I have to remind myself of that every single day until it's out of my system, I will continue to do that because that's what he did for me. If, since you have been so greatly loved, find your heart, remind your heart, and forgive. And then remind your mouth and verbalize it. I don't know what it is about humans, but we really stink at this. We stink at telling each other that we love each other. And I'm going to call out the guys. I don't think it's all the time the guys, but a lot of the times, more often than not, it's dudes that have a hard time saying, I love you to people. I don't know if it's because we think it makes us weak or, or I don't know what, but it's like, it's like this weird, like you know it, you believe it, but you're like, I can't say it. It doesn't feel right. But it is right. Aww. <laughs> Joe, I... I love you. Thank you. Who is it in your world outside of me that you need to tell that to? <laughs> I've got friends and multiple people in this congregation who are wrestling with saying this to people that are close to them. What if you just did it? Like, what if you just told your kid that? Or your wife or husband that? If you're dating, you probably say it all the time. What if you told your parent that? 
Like, like for real, what if you told, if you still have a parent living, what if you told your parent, your mom and your dad that, hey, mom, hey, dad, I love you. And you don't qualify it. You did a lot of messed up stuff. I'm a pretty amazing person for loving you, so. No, you just communicate. Remind your mouth. If, since you've been so loved, remind your mouth and verbalize it. Do that this, do that today. Do that this Christmas. Remind your mouth and verbalize it. Now, lastly, remind your face. You're not going to find a Bible verse on this, okay? This is just a pastoral encouragement to you. Remind your face. Christians are some of the worst people to advertise for the joy that they have in their heart when they walk around like this. So happy that Jesus saved me. Like seriously, it's transformed everything. We don't do that consistently. Like if that was all of us all the time, that'd be one thing. But we get excited about stuff that are, that's amazing. Whether it's sports or something that's good that's happening in your life, you get excited and you can't contain it. My sophomore year of college was when I started dating Julie. I couldn't believe that she was dating me. Like this was like, I was just like, don't screw this up, Errol. Don't screw this up. Just keep her tricked until you get married and then she's locked in and... <laughs> Don't screw this up. And part of what I didn't want to mess up is I didn't want to mess up the fact that um, every relationship before that, I had gone too far too fast. And I'm like, and then like all of a sudden the physical part of the relationship became the focus. I'm like, don't mess this up. And so I'm like, okay, when I'm dating Julie, I'm like, I'm going to do everything right. I'm going to slow my roll on on any, on everything. In fact, I'm, I mean, we're starting to date in September. I'm not going to kiss her until December 15th. It's my birthday. It'll be like a birthday kiss. It's my birthday kiss. It's going to be great. But until then, it's going to be just like nothing but hand-holding, and that's going to be it. And, there, and it, like a month after us dating, it's like October something, and, and, we're, and we're like, uh, I'm getting ready for this date. And my buddy, Josh Amstis, the guy that I, I worked on the book with, Josh is like, <laughs> he's like, you're getting ready for a date? I'm like, yeah. And he's like, you're going to kiss Julie by the end of tonight. I'm like, shut up. <laughs> God and I, we've got this deal. I'm not going to kiss Julie. I'm not going to kiss her till December 15th. It's going to be my birthday kiss. It's going to be that. And I, I'm not going to kiss her till I look her in the eyes. I know this is the woman that I'm going to spend the rest of my life with. And Josh is like, yep, that's going to happen tonight. I'm like, shut up. It's not going to happen. He's like, it's going to happen tonight. And when it does, lean in. <laughs> and take her by the back of the head. <laughs> and kiss her. I'm like, okay, number one, gross. <laughs> number two, again, this is a deal between me and God. I'm a man of convictions. Peace. And I took off. And I walk out, and Julie and I go on this date. And we just, we don't have, I don't have a car. We're walking around Chicago. We were going to school in Chicago, and it was like the best, most perfect night. Like if you had a night where it was going to be the first kiss, this was the night. And we're walking around, and like the sky is perfect, and the, it's just beautiful. Lights are out and everything. It's just great night. It's fantastic. And there's all these moments where I'm like, this is, this is it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to kiss her right now. I'm like, no, you're not. No, you're not. December 15th. And I kept on walking. I'm like, I'm going to power through this. And like, but we're having such an amazing time. We get to the end of this huge walk and we're about, about three quarters of a mile back to school and we're starting to walk back and we're talking and laughing and talking and laughing and I look at her in the eyes and I'm like, I'm going to spend the rest of my life with her. She's the one. And I leaned in. (laughs) 
and I grabbed her by the back of the head and pulled her in, and it was the most amazing kiss. You were expecting it to be bad. It wasn't. <laughs> it was amazing. It was, seriously, to date, you all may have had great first kisses, totally C minus compared to this one. It was amazing. And it, like, it was so amazing. My cheekbones were hurting. I was smiling so much as we're walking back. I even asked her, can we do that again? And she said, yes. And we, and we kept on walking back as we got back to school. I, my, my, I'm just like beaming. I'm going up my elevator to my floor to Colby 10. I'm just like, just, just radiating this, this glory of what just happened. And I get into my room and my room was full of people. It was like this like unsolicited party that was taking place in my room, which I didn't know was going on, but I walked through and I sit down on my bed and I'm just like just sitting there and Josh is in the room and Josh looks at me and he's like, you did it, didn't you? You kissed her. And I'm like, no. And he's like, yes, you did. I could tell, I can tell. And did you? I said, yes, yes, I did, fine. Here's the thing, here's my point. I couldn't contain that. If you paid me a million dollars, I couldn't suppress what's happening on face. And that was from a human kiss. I couldn't believe that she actually would kiss me, but she did. I couldn't believe she would actually date me, but she did. This is 25 years later, and I'm still like, when I think about it, I'm smiling. How is it that as a Christians, when we've had a love that is beyond any human love, do we walk around advertising this. Folks, we need, uh, someone told me after the, this, for the first service, we need to have a resting Christian face. <laughs> and that doesn't look like you just got back from a funeral. Your resting Christian face should be expressing this amazing reality. And the only way that that's going to arrive on your face is if you think about it, if you meditate on it. Are you meditating on the love that you have from Jesus? This is the love that you and I have. And the reason that we have to, to come back to pastors like fix your eyes on Jesus is because we as a people forget. And as a church, one of the things that we do to remind ourselves is something that Jesus prescribed us doing, and it's the Lord's table. It's communion. We come back to communion not because it's something that we do. Christians come back to communion to remind ourselves of the love that he has for us. He actually loves me? He actually saved me after everything that I've done and thought? How could I not be overjoyed? So what we're going to do right now is just in the next few moments, if you're a believer, this table is for you. I want you to exit your rows in just a moment here and go to the table on, on, in the front and the back. Go on both sides of the table. Take the bread and the cup back with you and spend some time meditating. We're going to have a song that's going to play. And during that song, just, just advocating for the reality we have in Jesus to fix our eyes on him, we're going to take the bread and the cup together. If you're not a Christian, this table is not for you yet. But it could be today. It could be if you too, like the rest of the people in this room who would call themselves followers of Jesus, surrendered your sin and your shame and your guilt to the God who loves you, the God who wants to make a connection with you. And from this moment on, you follow Jesus in his power and in his grace. Amen? Amen. All right. Exit your rows on your left-hand side. Go on both sides of the table. Return on your right. We'll take the bread and the cup in just a moment together.